From Jordan-Hare Stadium to Auburn Arena. From the Plains to the recruiting trail and all points in between. If it's Auburn, we've got it covered. Did I say War Eagle or War Eagle? That's it? War Eagle. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast with Brandon Marcello. Hey everybody, it's Brandon Marcel. This is the Roundtable. We haven't done one of these in a while. I'm joined by Philip Marshall, Mark Murphy, and Jason Caldwell, the whole 24-7 crew covering Auburn. Uh, guys, Auburn, of course, coming off the Oregon win. We've talked about that quite a bit in a couple of podcasts, but I want to focus, one, on areas Auburn needs to improve, things that stuck out to us, and kind of what Auburn's facing going forward and how they can improve. But I also want to talk a little bit about things outside of Auburn when it comes to the SEC. But that Oregon game heading into Tulane this Saturday, a lot of attention, especially from followers of ours on Twitter and on the message boards have been asking about the offensive line and the performance. Now, you look at the numbers, Auburn rushed for 206 yards, most yards they've had against a ranked opponent since 2017, but there were some issues, uh, pass protection, run blocking at times, Whitlow picked up some tough yards, still they got the job done in the second half, but guys, let's just go around the table here, what are the strengths, what are the weaknesses, what are the things that they need to improve on, things that you really liked about the offensive line's performance against Oregon in week one? Well, one thing I think you need to remember, and offensive line coaches have been reminding me of this for many years, not every, not every, in fact, as, as many pressures as not probably have nothing to do with the offensive line. I mean, there's only five of those guys. If they send, if they send six or seven, they can still only block five, but those offensive line can only block five of them. And it might be the running backs. It might be a tight end. It might be the quarterback's has to deal with it. So, uh, you know, I, I, I know the, the sack was it was the fault of the running back. So I, that's that's something that needs to be remembered. I as I as I've posted, I, I'm a little puzzled by, uh, you know, one I, I I don't I I don't see how you rush for 206 yards and play bad. And the fact fact is to me from what I saw. For the last quarter and a half, they took over the line of scrimmage. They were, they, they, and, uh, so I, I don't, I guess I'm a little confused, except that I think there's an awful lot of people out there that have just decided it's bad and it's going to be bad. And, and, uh, but I thought for the most part that it was a decent performance. It's, it wasn't a great performance, but it was a decent performance. And, uh, um, uh, and they should get better as the season goes on. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was okay. Um, I, you look at the yards and you go, this is 200 yards rushing, but but then you take away 40 yards from the quarterback and 40 yards from wide receiver sweeps, and it's a little different scenario. I thought Boogie Whitlow was the key to the running game and yards after contact. I, I didn't think there was a ton of running room, and he made some of those things happen. So I think they, they got to get a lot better. Um, what we don't know is how good Oregon's defensive line was, and I think it was probably a little bit better than, than people give it credit for. And so that's one of the things you have to work with. But you're right, it all kind of comes together. And I think 
Some of it comes with with Auburn getting more playmakers back on offense and maybe forcing the defense to back off the line of scrimmage a little bit. I think that's some of it. But yeah, I, you know, my question has been: Can this offensive line be good enough to run the ball even when everybody in the building knows it's coming? They did that for a good bit of the game on Saturday night. They didn't do it early. They did it late when it mattered the most. Can they build on that? That's my question mark heading into week two. You know, I thought the first quarter was disappointing for the offensive line. I think they had some confusion on there because Morgan came out and did some things they weren't expecting and uh, a lot of slanting, a lot of movement, a lot of blitzing. Auburn readjusted in the second quarter. I think from midway on the second quarter, the offensive line played better. They didn't play great, but they did. They played well enough to win. I think the biggest, the biggest, Caleb Kim had a hard time with their nose tackle. I mean, he just did. And, uh, and he's a very valuable guy because of his, his knowledge and his ability to recognize things and, and call signals. But, but one Auburn coach told me that, that basically what they prepared, what they expected Oregon to do. And it's hard to know when they got a new defensive coordinator, they basically didn't do any of it. It was all, it was completely different than what they, than what they, guess and that's all you can do is guess they actually ran a lot of stuff that jim levitt ran based off what i've been told which was interesting going into the game so i mean you know auburn's offensive line i don't think they certainly didn't go out and make a huge statement that hey we're back and we're good and we're going to dominate the line of scrimmage but but i also certainly don't think that they were uh that it was a a bad performance i think it was as jason said it was an okay performance I think what's really critical here is, as Jason mentioned, was the job by Whitlow um, on that very last drive in the third quarter and then heading into the fourth quarter. Um, it was amazing. Picking up a lot of yards after contact, particularly on the second level. And then there was a span there of about nine minutes and 16 seconds I, I mapped out where he didn't get a carry as he was getting going. And the game was kind of put back into Bo Nix's hands, and he was 3 of 11 passing for 17 yards. Two of them were negative plays. He also threw an interception. And the biggest pass was a 21-yard pass on a free play, which credit to him for recognizing on the offsides to throw to Sal Canella down the field. But it is so crucial to get this running game going, and it appears that the the best guy to do that is Whitlow right now. I don't know if they really have a – solid option where they feel like they could put him out there and have him run four or five straight times because Cam Martin got a chance on one drive with four plays. He got 11 yards on it. And then after that, they just stopped using him. It's going to be interesting to see how they try to develop someone behind uh, Whitlow, because I think he got banged up a little bit on that seven yard run to get him at the one yard line. I was told it may have been a shoulder issue, which as we know, he, he dealt with his shoulder last season, but after that, he only picked up two yards on three carries when he got back out there. Having said that, Whit- you were talking about pass protection. Whitlow had a huge block on a man on that touchdown pass to win the game. Know that. Yep. Um, the offensive line was unable to get the guy, and he was able to pick it up. And it gave uh, Nick just enough time and a step to step forward into the pocket to make that throw. If Whitlow wasn't even even on that side of the play, Nick's may have been sacked. That may have been the game, guys. So Whitlow, I think, was the – I mean, we know he had big yards, but he was a big-time unsung hero, even though he did get a lot of praise in that game because he picked up a lot of yards after contact and did some little things. It's just 
can they find a second guy and who will that be? So I'll pass that around the table. Who could be that second guy? I think DJ Williams, but I think he's still developing to get to that. Obviously, he also had shoulder surgery in the offseason. But who could step up in that role to be someone that takes five to ten carries out of Whitlow's hands and gives him a breather when he needs it? Yeah, I think I think DJ Williams is, is the guy. Um, obviously, his shoulder was good enough that he could go down and cover kickoffs um, in the opener against Oregon. So I think it's a matter of getting him back in the feel of the offense after he missed so much time in preseason camp. But to me, he looks like the other best bet to be an every down back. And and can they start getting him involved this week? Will that happen? I think that remains to be seen. I think he's a guy that that coming out of spring practice, they felt good about um, can they get him back going now? I think that's going to be the question mark. I'm just not sure that, um, you know, I don't know that Harold Joyner is going to be a guy that they give a lot of touches to in the running game. And and Sean Shivers has continued to show that hey, he can he can break a tackle or two up front. I, you know, the other night never really got a chance to get going. I still think he's a guy that can get some of those touches. But I think D.J. Williams is probably the best bet to be a guy that you can lean on for, for four, five, six carries in a row. Well, I think that the, here's the thing you don't know is that, yeah, that, that just like Brandon, you were talking about the the, the block uh, Whitlow made on 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 the winning touchdown pass. Those things are very important too, uh, because if the running back, if you know, there's going to be a lot of times the running back has to pick up the blitz, and if he does it, the quarterback's going to get sacked. And uh, and so, I, I, and I'm not saying DJ Williams may be great at that. I have no idea, but. But I'm just saying you, th- those things matter too, and those are the things that uh, that Cam Martin is going to give you because he's not going to mess up. And I, I guess, and I've been thinking this way for two years. It seems to me when Cam Martin gets a chance, he does pretty well. And I I I, I, I don't understand the uh, I don't understand the seeming hesitancy to put him out there. I my honest opinion is if they'd have put him out there and gone with him in the in the SEC championship game, they would have had a chance to win. Because Carry On Johnson was clearly nowhere close to full speed, so I, I I'm no coach, and they know a lot more than I do. But I, it, like I said, it seems to me when he gets a chance, he does pretty well. You know, the thing with Cam Martin, Philip, is that I think you're exactly right. He's good enough to help him. His big deal is just staying healthy, and his ankle's been a chronic problem. And uh, he he was on and off last year as far as being full speed and. Uh, I don't think he was full speed down the stretch, and that was an issue. He's dropped some weight this year. Uh, he's in as good a shape as he's been in, and you know he gained a good bit of weight uh, two years ago, and uh, because he wanted to be a more physical inside runner. But I think he's fine running inside at 190 pounds. He's just got to stay healthy. Yeah, that's an obviously a big issue, as you mentioned, Mark. I'm glad you brought that up about Cam Martin's his ankle issues he's had. I think I think we can kind of get lost in that a little bit. That's kind of been yeah. overlooked over the last year. Is everybody goes, well, why is Cam Martin not being utilized? He's he's been hobbled. Um, and we even saw in the Music City Bowl, Gus wanted to use him more, um, and uh, he did until, of course, uh, it was a blowout and they were moving guys in and out. Um, so we're heading into week two. You know, the whole cliche, and, and, you know, it's somewhat true, is that good teams show a lot of improvement from week one to week two, particularly when they have a new quarterback. And with Bo Nix heading into week two against a two-lane team, which, by the way, has a pretty good defense, um, I think it's going to be a pretty good challenge for him, especially up front. And as I mentioned with the offensive line, 
Um, but looking back at Bo Nix's performance, I know we've talked about that. And going forward, what are some things that stick out to you guys as far as concerns, things he needs to improve on, and things that were just maybe didn't quite expect or did expect that were so well? I'll just start off by quickly saying uh, I think all you need to know is, one, the last touchdown pass, but also his first touchdown pass where he just he noticed Eli Stowe wasn't covered and instead of hitting the ball off to Whitlow, he just did a quick pass out there. That's stuff that, you know, you don't see freshmen doing a lot um, out there. And he's got the savviness to do it. And he's a gunslinger, as Gus Malzahn said. He's willing to take chances. And that, even though it was a safe chance, he still took the chance. Said, hey, I'm not going to run this play. I'm going to throw it out here. The guy's not covered. And by the time he threw it, by the way, that corner was moving up to him to cover. So it could have gone badly. The guy may have jumped on it and picked it off, but he threw it just in time. So anyway, Knicks made, I think, mostly good decisions. Those two interceptions, I'd say one's a bad, bad decision uh, when he threw across his body. And then the second one, I think it was a miscommunication between him and Sal Canelo, where Canelo kept going, going downfield, whereas Knicks thought it was probably an over-the-shoulder type, back-shoulder throw, I should say. And that was just a little miscommunication. But overall, uh, I think it was a phenomenal, phenomenal performance for him. Um, I, I, one of the coaches told me that, you know, you might not really notice it. You try to count throwaway passes as like something you just see and go, oh, that's a throwaway pass. But there were passes that were throws into the blitz or whatever that were actually throwaways that don't look like it. And he had like eight to nine throwaways to avoid sacks or bad plays Whereas not, not nothing against Jarrett Stidham from last season, but he was a guy that tended to hold on to the ball and either take a sack or try to go upfield or, or lose yardage or get a yard or two. Whereas Nick's more able to throw the ball and just get away, get away, get the ball away, and he's not too worried about his stats. So all, I say all that to keep that in mind and kind of encapsulate everything as we move forward and kind of judge Bo Nix, one off the Oregon game, and heading into week two, what did you guys think? And what do you think he'll look like in week two against Tulane? And what does he need to improve on? And what were you very impressed with? You know, the thing that I need that I need to see improvement from this team's going to play up to its potential offensively is the wide receivers as a group need to block better. Absolutely. They need, to be, they need to be more aggressive and help Bo Nix out. I mean, if he throws the ball up there, it's a 50-50 ball. They've got to have the attitude, it's my football, it's not the defensive back's football. And even if they get an offensive pass interference call, I think that's a step in the right direction. And I think the head coach it was pretty uh, chapped about the whole way the offense, why the wide receivers play as a whole. And he wants to see him get better against Tulane. I agree. You know, the uh, Bo's got – he's got to obviously be more efficient. Uh, I thought there were a few times he bailed out maybe a little too quick, but uh, – well, it sure is a big difference in watching him bail out and watching uh, Stidham bail out because he's hard to him up when, when, once he starts running around. But the, the first, inter, I guess, it was, it was the first interception, the one in the red zone, right? That was the first. Yeah. One. yeah. Uh, that was actually, I was told, a the read was if the if the defensive end didn't come, then there then there it was supposed to be a shuffle pass. Uh, which, in in the words of the coach, he would have hit his head on the on the goalpost. Uh, and I think those kinds of things, just misread, basically, they're going to happen with a freshman quarterback. There's just no way. There's just no way around it. 
And uh, uh, and you're right about what you said, Brandon, about throwing the ball at the stove because a lot of freshmen would say he might see it and he'd say, "No, coach called play X, and I'm going to run what he what he said. I'm not going to I'm not going to go against it because that's can be sure of not getting in trouble if you just do what you were told to do. So uh, I thought that was a, a, a mature play, and I, obviously the being able to to take his team 60 yards down the field and 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 having enough guts to make that throw to win the game that that was phenomenal i i don't know that uh that that was one that's gonna gonna live a long time in in auburn uh history because but he's gonna he's gonna have his struggles and uh the more people see him on video the more they'll try to uh to take what he likes to do away from him and and, uh, you know, I saw, and I'll say this and I'll let y'all Jason talk, but when Stan white and see, I'm so old, I remember a long time ago when Stan white was starting as a red shirt freshman, he brought Auburn back from the dead to tie Tennessee and, uh, at Jordan Hare stadium made several big plays, but over the, over the next, the first half of the season and, and they won at Ole Miss the next week or in Jackson, but, uh, he went through, he went through three or four games where he had real struggles. And, uh, and I wouldn't be surprised to see that happen to Bo, uh, might not, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see it, He's got a lot of things he's going to still to see that he hasn't seen yet. And, uh, and dealing with those things is going to be his big challenge. Yeah. I, I think the thing that stands out to me is, is, is kind of what I expected, which is you see a kid that that's not going to flinch, um, no matter the situation, no matter the the consequences, he just keeps playing football, and and that's what he does. And I think his teammates appreciated that. We know talking to those guys post game, whether it was Jeremiah Denson or whoever it was, those veteran guys talking about his composure on the sidelines, him coming back good or bad. Um, to me, that spoke volumes as to how much he's already kind of learned and earned the respect of his of his teammates and. As a quarterback, that's the biggest thing he can do. And so I think moving forward, it's a matter of developing, uh, continuing to add to the offense. Um, and and I think I think something that you know both you know, I think Phil and Mark both mentioned, Brandon too, is I think he's got to help out his offensive line a little bit more. He did some of that running outside. I think now stepping up in the pocket a little bit. But the other thing is, is those receivers have to help him, and they got to get yeah. open, and they got to, they've got to find spots times on Saturday where he's outside and there's nobody there. Even on the fourth down play, there were three receivers there and none of those guys were anywhere close to open. He had no choice but to pull and run. So um, I think it's a matter of continuing to develop the offense as a whole. And I think we've w- what you did learn is that Bo Nix isn't going to be scared in the moment. No, definitely not. Um, you know, the stories that Whitlow or the story Whitlow t- said just about uh, him wanting the ball on a, I think it was a third and short, and uh, Bo didn't give it to him. And then Whitlow came back over and was like, what is going on, man? I thought we were, we agreed <laughs> I thought we agreed here. You're going to give me the ball. And he's like, man, just don't worry. You'll get the ball. Don't worry. I've got you. And he said when he threw that touchdown pass, all was well with him. He said, all right, that guy's legit. Um, and not to say that it needed to, he needed to have that game-winning touchdown pass to prove himself, but oh. Nix's demeanor throughout that entire game including that Eli Stove throw where he just said, hey, I'm going to throw it. Uh, well, just great game management. But also, here's what I'm looking forward to, guys. 
when do we see Bo Nix and Gus Malzahn going at it like Bo Nix and Patrick Nix were going at it on the sidelines <laughs> in high school? I don't know that how much we'll see of that, but it's something that people might not realize. But he just because he was a coach's son does not mean that he was coached easy. He was coached oh, no. very, very tough by his father. And those are things that w- will pay off every day for him at Auburn and, and in the future because he's used to, to people being tough on him and, and correcting mistakes, all those things. That's the way he's lived. And so I think it's, uh, it's something that absolutely plays out. You saw him and Gus kind of give each other a little boom at the end of that game. I think there'll be some give and take there, but I think as a freshman, Bo knows – Hey, I've, I've got to I've got to run my show and 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 let the head man run his show too. But you mentioned about the 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 imp, the improv for the touchdown early in that game. There were a couple of times where where Bo comes to the line of scrimmage and and he's checking a little bit. That's a far cry from what Gus Malzahn oh, usually allows yeah. fresh quarterbacks, and it shows you how much um, that he trusts that guy, even though he never played a game. You know, it's interesting. It's uh. The quarterback, I mean, he's out there on the side, even when he's on the sideline, and even the guys that are four years older than he is, they're all watching him. They're all watching him to see how he responds, to see how he reacts, see what a, and that can be a heck of a, for 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 a freshman, that can be a that 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 could be a big load to carry. But I don't think anything's a big load for him to carry. To be honest with you, I think he is completely fearless, and uh, and that's. Easy to say, but I think it's true. And like you said, Jason, he's just going to keep playing. He throws an interception, throws a pick six, whatever. He's going to keep playing. And uh, a coach compared him to to me to Brett Favre, and I think there's I think there's some uh, similarities there because he's he is unafraid. And even with the game on the line, the easy thing to do to do would have been to throw the throw the out out cut and. Uh, Get five or six more yards and go over there and see if if Andrews Carlson can win the game. But he he wanted he wanted to get the touchdown. We're going to continue this discussion right after these messages. We're going to talk about the SEC and then we're going to talk about the Tulane game coming up right after this. Okay, guys. So I want to talk about the SEC a little bit before we move into this next game against Tulane. Overall impressions through Week One. Um, for me, just real quick to spark the conversation, there are some very weak teams in the SEC this year, at least early on. Ole Miss, Arkansas, Kentucky. Um, I know Florida beat Miami in week zero. Their defensive line looked okay, but that offense seemingly is maybe regressed since last season. I know it's just week one. But anyway, your guys' thoughts on the SEC through week one, I wasn't totally impressed. I thought that you know that the what most would consider the top five teams, Alabama, Auburn, Texas A and M, LSU, and uh, uh, Florida. That that I didn't think Florida was very impressive, but uh, that that but I think that Miami's a legitimate team. But the other four, I mean, Auburn just winning was impressive, and uh, the the course and they're other playing overmatched things. But those others, the mostly the East. Uh, I mean, Tennessee's loss. That's one of the that's one of the strangest things I've ever seen, and because of anybody who watched the game, there was not one thing fluky about that game. Georgia State just went out there and lined up and kicked their rear ends, and uh, uh, obviously 
you know, Missouri and all of them. None of them wasn't impressive. And uh, even the ones that won, Kentucky wasn't impressive. Uh, Arkansas certainly was not impressive. Uh, uh, Ole Miss, I, I wasn't surprised that Memphis won. I mean, Memphis was favored, but to only score 10 points, I mean – that's I, maybe Memphis is great on defense. I doubt it, but maybe they. That are. Ole Miss and, uh, offensive line uh, looked porous. I mean, it was awful. We yeah. we had a chance to to sit and watch most of those games early on. Uh, found a place to to kind of hole up before before the game in in Arlington and watching those. That that's one of the things that jumped out was Ole Miss offensive line. It was it was terrible. Um, and yeah, you're right. I if somebody told me that they'd have lost. You know, thirty-four to thirty-one. I don't. Right. Believe it. I wouldn't have believed the way it went. Um, the other one that you mentioned, another winner, another winner that Mississippi State defensively. Now they had to replace a ton of guys. They gave up a lot of plays to to La, to Louisiana on Saturday. I saw said Louisiana Lafayette, but they gave up a lot of plays. Um, they they looked they looked slow, didn't they? They did. They did not yeah. look like. You know, of course, when you have to replace that many guys, they weren't going to be as good. But um, you mentioned South Carolina, obviously the, the struggles they had, and now replacing Jake with a true freshman quarterback, and they get Charleston Southern this week, and then Alabama next week. Um, I don't know that they'll find out anything about themselves on Saturday, but yeah, I think it's a clear dividing line in this league right now, and the bottom half of that league. And you know, Vandy, Vandy was terrible against Georgia. Um, there's yeah, there's, I did. I didn't think Georgia played great in that game. No, and, and, and Vandy's I, – I don't – you know, offensively, they'll look better this week against Purdue because we've seen Purdue's defense and we know they give up some points. But I just don't see that Vandy team doing a whole lot um, unless there's a change of quarterback, and I don't know what's behind him. You know, the team that I thought was vastly overrated in preseason is Missouri, and I'm mad at myself for not picking uh, Wyoming to win that game because it was played at altitude and uh, – but Wyoming wasn't very good, and so that's why I went with Missouri. It's a really interesting game, 11 o'clock on Saturday morning. Um, Missouri's got to take on West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is good but um, as, norm, as they normally are, but, uh, you know, I think this is another game Missouri could lose. Yeah, and if, if Missouri loses to West Virginia, because as you mentioned, Mark, Mark um, that West Virginia team is apparently not very not good at all this year. You lose. You come out of the gate zero and two with a loss to Wyoming, and all of a sudden that hot seat talks returning for Barry Odom. And I, didn't Kelly Bryant throw a pick six against Wyoming, if I'm not mistaken? He had a pick six and a, and a late fumble wow. uh, in the red zone, and, and put up a lot of a lot of yards. But he had some crucial mistakes, and and what they they gave up a they gave up a pair of 100 yard rushers to Wyoming as well. And oh man! Look at it and you go, how's that going to hold up down the stretch? And, yeah, their schedule is is about as easy as it can get, but if that's still some very losable games down the stretch as well. You know, I, even when Auburn was was recruiting Kelly Bryant, I just I I think he was he was a a good quarterback at Clemson, surrounded by by a a national championship contender team. Uh, but I just I never saw him as some kind of savior quarterback for for anybody, and. Uh, and he's he has got a little different situation when he goes out there now than what he used to have. And uh, uh, I know, like you said, he, he threw for a bunch of yards. But I'm not, I'm with you, Mark. I've I've never really quite understood the uh, the Missouri hype either. 
Yeah, the SEC's got a chance to get a little <coughs> back this week. Uh, Texas A&M can, can go into Clemson and win that game. That's a big deal for the league's prestige. Then LSU is going into Texas. That's another big game for the league. But, uh, you know, I think both those teams are going to be hard-pressed to win those games. But I do like LSU's chances. Yeah, both games on the road for the for those teams. And uh, I think LSU is actually favored, I think, by like six or six and a half. Obviously, Clemson is favored at home against A&M. That game went down to the wire last season in College Station. But at that time, that Clemson team was a little bit different, and so was that A&M team, but more so Clemson, uh, especially at the quarterback spot when they were still trying to figure things out there. Uh, and we, I, I don't know who the player was, but one A&M player guaranteed a win this week against Clemson. Yeah, <laughs> offensive of lineman. Yeah, that was oh, oh, an offensive <laughs> lineman. That's who yeah, you want to say that. Offensive oh, lineman, that's it. You know, you look at Clemson, I mean, their national championship team should have lost to Auburn. That's, that was the year that Gus Mal, Gus had tried the three quarterback rotation in the first yes. game, and yeah. Auburn and Auburn was still throwing in the end zone at the end of the game. Uh, you, uh, his team seems to they you know, they, they would have should have could have lost to Syracuse at home last season. They, they don't his teams don't seem to be they, they say and this is to his credit they get better as the season goes on, but they are not necessarily. Uh, dominant early on it's and like i mean texas a&m had every chance to win that game against them last year and completely dominated the statistics and uh didn't happen now of course they got a different quarterback now so we'll see but he wasn't great the first game either trevor lawrence so no but they their their offensive line running game is a is a big yeah. key. um and defensively they still got a bunch of a bunch of really talented players oh, yeah. they haven't played a whole lot i i'll be really surprised Texas A&M, they're not going to play better than they did last year at home and and didn't get a win. Right. I'll be surprised if this game is not 10 to 14 points or more by the time it's over with. Well, it's simplistic to say about Clemson, but if you're going to stop that offensive line and ATM, is that how you say yep. it, uh, from running the ball, then you're gonna you're gonna have to to stack the box to do that. There's that's, there's not going to be any other way to do it. And when you do that, then you're Obviously, leaving yourself at, at very much at risk of of the quarterback just tra- tearing you to pieces. You have the best one on one pair of wide receivers in the country. Right. So I, it's a it's a problem, not just for for Texas A&M. It's a problem for anybody. What do you guys think about LSU at Texas? It's a big moment Texas, for Texas. Texas has one scholarship running back, and they moved a quarterback yeah. to running back as well. Yeah, I saw that. I, I just don't know that that physically. Can they line up? And I still have questions about LSU, obviously. One game, I was surprised they beat Georgia Southern the way they did, but I still wonder in the long run, how will they hold up if a team decides, hey, we're going to line up and run the football? Because I don't I don't think they saw much of that in preseason camp. Can, can Will that be different for this LSU defense than it's been in the past? I don't know. But um, if Texas quarterback makes it through the game, because he's probably going to have to run the ball 20 times, if he makes it through, they'll have a chance. But – he may not make it through the game Saturday. I agree. You know, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not a Texas. I, I'm not sure about Texas. I mean, I, yeah, they, they beat Georgia, who was, which was kind of like Central Florida beating Auburn, Georgia. That, that was not in Georgia's uh, plan to be in New Orleans playing, playing in the Sugar Bowl against, against Texas. But I'm, I'm not sure what it is so overwhelmingly impressive about Texas. And, uh, and, 
you know, I'm guessing Georgia Southern really didn't know what to expect from LSU. And I want to see what happens when you got, you got the triumvirate there of, of, uh, the new guy and Steve Insminger and, and Ed, O. what's going to happen when, when it's tight and the game's on the line, are they still going to be what they were Saturday throwing the ball all over the place? Or are they going to go go back to what they're comfortable with? And I don't know the answer to that. It'll be interesting to see. You know, one thing that was interesting about that game, Philip, is that LSU, almost everything they threw was short type of passes. And Georgia Southern just didn't adjust to it and got steamrolled. Plus, Georgia Southern's quarterback got hurt early in the game. Yeah, you know, if you remember uh, – Tommy Tuberville's first year at Ole Miss, uh, they came to Jordan Hare Stadium and Auburn spread the field and uh, and just throwing mostly short passes and they they were they they had prepared all week for to for them to get the ball to Stephen Davis thirty times and I mean they could it was like it was just like pitch and catch the whole game and uh, and you thought oh my gosh what an offense well. The, Pretty soon they went to LSU and scored six points. So, uh, I mean, it's a, uh, I just think it's really dangerous to put too much, all these, you know, Penn State and Maryland scoring in the 70s, uh, all these, all these huge scores in these mismatch games. And I, I just think it's a, it's, it's really dangerous to put a whole lot of stock into it one way or the other. But at, by the same token, I think as long as you win your first game, like Florida, we'll see what happens. But, but they managed to win, so. Uh, uh, but I, I, I still want to see what if LSU really is going to be able to, to if, if Ed O is really going to be able to, to really just stay out of the offense and let uh, and let this guy from the Saints do what he does. We'll see. I think all LSU's got to do is put on Maryland helmets against Texas. Winner. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's a guarantee win there. All right, so Auburn hosting Tulane, 6.30 p.m. Central Time on ESPN2 Saturday. Guys, and Jason, you've done a great job breaking down this Tulane team this week on the website, but uh, this Tulane team, everybody's talking about Justin McMillan at quarterback, the LSU transfer, by the way, Uh, but this defensive line of Tulane's is pretty good. Yep. I I think – to me, you look at it, and it's it's very similar to last week. I think it's similar for any Auburn game. Uh, when you look at Auburn right now, this team, it's going to be um, line of scrimmage. Um, can they control the line of scrimmage um, and and establish the running game? Because if if you can and you force more people in, I, I think that's the key. But I think Auburn's got to got to continue to open up a little bit more on offense. And then you look at Auburn's defense once again. If Tulane had 350 rushing um, last week against uh, a Florida international team that won nine games. So last year, that's the key. Put the ball in Justin McMillan's hands, make him throw it in obvious throwing situation to beat you. That's, that's the story of the game for me. I agree. I think that, you know, even, even uh, Willie Fritz said that, that he thought it was much their advantage because the Florida international really didn't know what, what they were going to do on offense with, with their new coordinator. So, uh, so in that respect, Auburn's better off in that they, they do have one game on, on video to, uh, to see. And, uh, uh, but, but, you know, I agree. Uh, you got to, Auburn's got to make them one dimensional and Auburn's got to not be one dimensional. 
Gus Malzahn's offense, and it's always been this way, is he needs to be able to mix it up. I mean, he needs to be able to run the ball. If, the, if Auburn can't run the ball, then they have a hard time doing anything else. Uh, it's not people say spread offense, and you think about the air raid. That That is not Gus Malzahn. And uh, he wants to run the ball and, uh, and throw play-action passes. And like we uh, Mark brought up earlier, the receivers have to – one, they have to block. And and I'm going to tell you now, just going on years past, if they don't, then they'll have some receiver out there that will. And it might not be the best pass catcher, but they will they will have somebody playing there that will block because they have to have that. And then on those 50-50 balls, you got to go get it. you got to say, that's mine, and I'm getting it, and there's nothing you can do about it. And that's the one place I think that uh, – uh, I mean, as as uh, as as talented as as Williams is, I mean, and making the big catch and all that stuff. He, but he he needs to be a guy that says, "You throw it up there, and I'm going to catch it every time." And uh, I'm I'm not sure I've seen that from him consistently. You know, the uh, a key thing to me about Tulane, I watched him play early last season, and, and my comment was. It's not a bad team if they could get a uh, competent play quarterback and they got the grad transfer in from LSU. And uh, I think there's certainly a, uh, a team that could have a winning record this year and uh, might be the best team uh, Tulane's had since Tommy Bowden was the coach and they went undefeated. That's been a while. Yeah, 1998. Um and interestingly, Tulane has not beaten a ranked opponent since 1984. Um, they got a chance or, or an opportunity, I should say, uh, against Auburn. Auburn's a, I don't even know what the, the line is now, but Auburn's seven, about seven, 17 and 17. And a half, so. Okay, 17 and a half. So it's dropped from 18 to that, and I think it was at 1.21 or so, right. or something like that. Um, so uh, obviously a lot of respect for Tulane to be able to cover this line, and I think a lot of that has to do with their defense and Listen, they're they're six and one their last seven games with Justin McMillan at quarterback, as you said, and with this new offensive coordinator. Uh, from talking to people, um, they do a tremendous job. Um, yeah, with him. I know him. I know him very well. Um, Will Hall is the offensive coordinator. Um, he recruited my nephew Kyle. Called oh him yeah, him, yeah. And Kyle played for him at West Alabama for his first three years, and so I got to watch a lot of Will Hall offensive games. Uh, very multiple um, quarterback is absolutely the centerpiece of the offense um and you saw it you know justin he wants to run his quarterback some but they want to uh they want to hurry up tempo at times but a lot of motion a lot of movement and i think that's going to be the thing that is to watch to see if they can get auburn um out of space which happened a couple of times against oregon last week uh misalignment um those some of those things early on that's going to be what um Tulane's going to try to get um and try to hit with auburn early on yeah i think linebacker play is going to be crucial for auburn in this game I think it's going to be big. Um, all right, guys, so let's go around the table here. You don't have to give a score prediction. We'll have score predictions for this game at auburn.247sports.com, but give me your general thoughts on the game, how it will transpire, and if Auburn wins. And um, we'll just go around here. We'll start with you, Jason. Uh, I think Auburn wins the game, and I think it, it winds up being comfortable, but I don't think it's going to be as comfortable in the third quarter as as Auburn fans might want. I, I think it's going to be a little bit of a challenge, and – um, I think it's going to take a, a little bit of opening up. One thing that that's going to play a, a role in this game could be depth because it's going to be Woo. very hot. Uh, it's going to be a nasty night at Jordan-Hare Stadium, and I think Auburn's depth could really play a factor down the stretch. 
Yeah, I think the uh, game's going to be close uh, at least through halftime and maybe midway through the third quarter, but I like Auburn's chances of pulling away. And, uh, uh, you know, Tulane is going to be motivated because they don't get a chance to play ranked teams a whole lot. And, uh, you know, they have nothing to lose. They can come in and play loosey-goosey and be be, uh, in attack mode the whole way. A lot of these guys, almost all of them are three-star recruits, and they've probably got some chips on their shoulder. They probably wanted to play at SEC-level programs, and uh, and there's like a bunch of them from the state of Alabama. So I think they're going to be really ready to play this game. I think that uh, it's a very dangerous game. I think if Auburn does – Auburn clearly has more depth, uh, more talent. Uh but it could be a game where you could be a couple turnovers away from being in real trouble. Uh, if they don't turn it over, I can't see Tulane winning. And uh, I, I'm kind of like everybody else. I think it'll probably end up being a uh, a fairly comfortable margin, but that it will be a it'll be a challenge getting to that point. And uh, I, I I would certainly pick Auburn to win, but I would not say that it's a uh, it's a it's an automatic win at all. I had one coach on Auburn staff tell me this week that they believe that Auburn's defensive line is going to eat up Tulane's offensive line just after watching film. We'll, we'll see, of course. But I think the big thing here is that Auburn gets a chance offensively to work on the things that they had issues with against Oregon against a pretty good Tulane defensive line so they can try to improve by facing an opponent on defense that's not necessarily a pushover. So they get a legitimate test there this week so i think you'll be able to judge this offense pretty fairly after the game about how much they've improved going against tulane this isn't uh like kent state next week or something like that this is a tulane defense that's that's pretty good and if auburn's moving the ball on them pretty well i think auburn fans should feel pretty good but uh one one coach told me this game is either going to be we're going to come out on fire and just dash Tulane's hopes and, you know, win 41 to three or 41 to 10 or something like that, or it's going to be like 21 to 17 or something weird like that heading into the fourth quarter. And then Auburn maybe pulls away, Uh, but it's not going to be one of those games where they feel that Auburn's up 14 or 21 points. And it's just hovering around there the entire game. It's all going to depend on how Auburn comes out uh, to start the game. Otherwise it could get, it could get dicey in the second half. If uh, Auburn lets them, Stick around. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. I think it's gonna be. I think it's gonna be a pretty good game to watch. If Tulane makes it too close, does Auburn get to 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 cut back on what they're paying them to come? Maybe pay them a little less. <laughs> That's a pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Auburn's paying what about four million dollars for the next two opponents? I don't get it. I don't get it. I, and I certainly, I I certainly don't get it for next week. I I, I don't I, either. I, I mean, I I don't get it. I, That's I, I'm not sure. Is these are these Jay Jacobs games? Yes. Yes. Uh, I I don't get it. I don't. I do not understand why you would pay that much. Kent State, I mean, good, Kent State got a good payday at Arizona State the first week too, so they're making some bank this year. Yeah. Yeah. But uh. But I mean, I don't. If you can't get look, you don't get any more from, any more from any more help beating Tulane and Kent State than you would by beating two other teams. I mean, get somebody that doesn't want $2 million to come play. I mean, well, how about, how much, did, how much did Tennessee play Georgia state? They paid them pretty well too. Didn't nine, they? 900, 900, oh. 
think. Yeah. Like oh, okay. All right. It wasn't as expensive as I thought. For some reason, I thought I saw one point four million. Okay. All right. Well, that's not too bad, but still, <laughs> here's nine hundred thousand dollars. Thanks for whooping us. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, th- these two games, very, very high price tags. And of course, next week will be the Woody Barrett Bowl. The former Auburn quarterback is now the starter at Kent State. Uh, but this Tulane team's better than Kent State. I, I think this oh, game, yeah. uh, I think a lot of fans are underestimating just how entertaining and uh, this game is is going to be. So we'll find out our full predictions uh, for all SEC games and Auburn games and a couple of national games will be up at auburn.247sports.com and our weekly fearless forecasters uh, predictions on Friday. So that's it, guys. Thanks for joining us. Philip, Jason, Mark myself brandon we'll see you guys down the road no one has it covered like 24 7 sports go undercover with auburn undercover